Back to the book of Lamentations, been there just about all year on our Wednesday nights. And as Brother A.J. did mention, we had a wonderful, wonderful meal uh, from the home ec class this afternoon. The young ladies did a spectacular job. Uh, I want you to know those young ladies could cook and cooked us, I don't know, was it a three, four, five course meal? I can't remember. As a matter of fact, I told them that uh, because it was so good and I was so full that I would not be able to preach three points tonight. We're only going to be able to preach two points. And uh, so I figure after this service, you're going to be going to those young ladies and saying that they'll cook lunch every afternoon on Wednesdays. Uh, but you know me, I can stretch out a two-pointer just as long as a three-pointer. But they're doing a great job. Appreciate Miss Pam working so hard with them and uh, giving them some of those great life skills. That'll be a blessing. And I look forward to maybe something for the guys next year as the new year comes around, getting them some life skills. Amen. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do something for the guys. So. Lamentations chapter one, we have read down through several, several verses. As we get into some of these verses, several of them begin to repeat themes from previous verses. So we're going to skip down just a little bit and read one tonight, verse number 19. I'll give you a couple of things out of that, and then I'm going to let you go home. Lamentations chapter number one, we're looking down in verse number 19. The Bible says, I called for my lovers. These are those that they have cheated on God with. When you read this in this passage, the lovers are those that they have abandoned God for and cheated on God with uh, idolatry. The Bible says, but they deceived me. My priest and mine elders gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Boy, there's a lot in that verse we're going to unravel tonight. Uh, so let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom. Father, thank you tonight for the privilege to be back in your house, Lord, to come before you with the needs of our hearts and our homes, but not only that, for the needs of others. We pray you bless each one that was mentioned. Thank you, Father, for answering prayer. Lord, help us always to be mindful to give you the glory and praise when, Lord, you do bless those that are sick to get better and get out of the hospital. And I pray that you continue to work in the lives of our people. Bless, Lord, now as we open your word. Help us receive exactly what you'd have for us tonight. Uh, Lord, I know we're tired, had long days at work, and uh, Lord, out and about in the world, and we may be spiritually drained. So Father, I pray you'd help us tonight to get what you'd have us to have before we leave in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through this, uh, you know, we've read some pretty horrific things, haven't we, in the book of Lamentations, as the judgment of God continues to unfold upon his people for their unfaithfulness to him, for forsaking him, uh, and turning from him. And just about the time when you think it can't get much worse, I mean, just in chapter number one, it is compounded trouble upon trouble upon trouble, trial upon trial, and we're thinking to ourselves, it can't get any worse, and lo and behold, it does. Lamentations is one of those stories where you're hoping, you know, I think most of us are probably optimists. Uh, I know you may have a pessimistic streak in some of you. I know you well enough to know, but I think at our core, uh, because number one, we're Christians and we're people of hope, right? Because we're people of hope, we should always have some optimism regardless of the situation we're living in. But because we're Americans, I think because we're Americans, we have some optimism uh, and some hope. And I think we're always hoping even in the darkest hour when things are not good, when things are down and out and it seems like, uh, you know, we're at the darkest night we could get at, I think we're all hoping there's going to be an uptick here in just a few moments and have a triumphant rebound or a happy ending. And I hate to tell you, it's going to be hard-pressed to find one of those in the book of Lamentations, hence the name, Lamentations. 
I was thinking about the uh, movie my wife and I watched on a date night several years ago, uh, the Pixar movie Up. Anybody have seen the movie Up? Uh, cute little movie. The guy floats his house with the balloons. It's kind of become a theme of our household. We've got a lot of up, up stuff around our household. And, and so Leslie and I, I thought we shipped Miley off somewhere for a date night, and we're sitting on the couch, and we had pop popcorn, and we're going to watch this movie as a date night, looking forward to this new cartoon that had come out. And we're still young at heart, so we still enjoy cartoons. And we turn it on. And like in the first five minutes of that movie, they, they get married, and without even saying a word, you can tell what's happening. They have these hopes and dreams of going to these exotic places, traveling together, and they start saving up money, putting up money in that jar, and they have this adventure book, and they're going to have all these adventures together. And then right off the bat, they can't have children. They lose a child early on in the introduction of the movie, and Man, the mood just turned south real quick because, number one, our daughter wasn't with us and makes you want to hold your kid tighter, you know. And then the wife gets sick, and they have to take money out of their adventure jar, you know, the jar they're saving up to go on this trip, and they have to take money out of that to spend on the wife. And then, lo and behold, the inevitable happens. The wife passes away. And they say, you know, you look up, the man is old, and now he can't travel. And I look at my wife, and I said, worst date night movie ever. Why did we pick this? And I told her, if one more bad thing's happened, I'm turning it off. I'm not going to sit. If the guy dies, it's over, all right? Worst movie ever. I'm about to turn it off, and lo and behold, it gets a little bit better. You know, he flies his house, and there is a happy ending. Well, unfortunately, in Lamentations, it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And we're hoping any minute now, you know, the balloons are going to fly off out of the chimney, and, and this is going to fly off happily ever after, and yet that's not happened. I asked Brother Bo, he sent me the list this afternoon of so far the messages we've preached out of Lamentations 1, and we've preached on the lesson of loneliness, loneliness, limitations, lamenting, liability. It was, look, it was really hard getting all these L's. I want you to know that. I've been wearing my thesaurus out in the L's. The lesson on looking back and the lesson on loss. I mean trouble upon trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And I hate to tell you tonight, it's not going to get any better in verse number 19. Once they forsook God, it was downhill from there. Now, folks, look, there is a, a very simple but very truthful principle that we need to see in the book of Lamentations, that once they turned their back on God, it was downhill. Can I tell you, when you turn your back on God, the L's continue to compound one L after another, and you'd be amazed at what could happen when you get away from God. It's amazing. Uh, we read throughout Scripture, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's an amazing study. When you go study and you find out that they always went up to Jerusalem and down to Egypt. They always went up to Jerusalem to worship God. The Bible says they went down to Egypt. As a matter of fact, I went in on a map today and just did the elevations on that. You know that Egypt is 75 feet above sea level, just edging out New Orleans, amen? <laughs> Egypt is 75 feet above sea level, and Jerusalem is 2,575 feet. You always go up to Jerusalem, the place where God is, the center of worship. You go up to Jerusalem, but you always go down to Egypt. Egypt always represents the world. And as you get away from God, understand this. Listen, I don't care who you are, how smart you are, how much Bible you know, and how clever you are in living your life. As you get away from God, it's always downhill. All right? The L's are going to stack on top of each other and on top of each other. And just when you think it can't get any worse, get what? guess what? It's going to get worse. Why? Because you're moving away from God. Now, verse 19 shows us another thing I want you to see tonight. The Bible says, My priest and mine elders gave up the ghosts, that means they died, in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. 
Now, notice the latest calamity we're looking at tonight that's befallen them because they got away from God is simply starvation. They're starving to death. They're dying without food. Why? Because they've gotten away from God as a result of their sin. Now, something interesting about this tonight that I want us to see, they're not lacking luxuries, okay? They're not lacking uh, having a gourmet steak. They're not uh, lacking a Brazilian steakhouse. They are lacking simply the meat to survive. And notice the Bible says they're giving up the ghost. They're lacking the very needs that they need to survive. And tonight's lesson is going to show us that forsaking God will always leave you lacking. Okay? Forsaking God is always going to leave you lacking. We're going to look at the lesson of lacking uh, tonight, and there's two parts to this lesson. I'll not be able to preach the third part because my belly's too full, and I'm afraid Brother Nate may fall asleep. If you do fall asleep in service, let me go ahead and give you this emergency uh, help, okay? If you ever fall asleep in service, hit your knees and turn around like you're praying. You never know revival may break out. Somebody might be thinking, that guy, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just gripped him, and he just fell over. You just turn around and pretend like you're praying and go right back to sleep, and everything will be fine, okay? So I'm going to give you two parts tonight to this lesson of lacking. And understand this. The further you get away from God, the more you're going to lack. The further you get away from God, the more you're going to lack in our life. You're not going to prove God wrong. You're going to prove him right. And let's look at these two lessons on lacking tonight. The Bible says the priests, the elders gave up the ghost in the city. This is very important to notice the wording here. While they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Now notice they're starving. They're starving. Now few of us actually uh, can really have ever, ever uttered those words in our life that we are starving. Now, I use the word a lot. Starving simply means it's been a couple of hours since I've had a hamburger, okay? That's what I use the word starving. Most of us, it's not a question of if we're going to eat, but where we're going to eat, right? Now, you say, man, I am starving. Where are we going to eat? They're not that kind of starving. They're starving not having exactly what they're needing, and they're needing because they have turned their back on God. Now, notice what's happening. They're looking for something to eat. The Bible says they're giving up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Now, notice they're searching for what they need, but they cannot find what they need. Here's what I want you to understand. A faithless search will always be a fruitless search, okay? A faithless search will always be a fruitless search. Now, they're searching for what they need without God, okay? And if you search for what you need in this, I don't care if it's joy. It doesn't matter if it's hope. It doesn't matter if it's contentment. It doesn't matter if it's the very food, if you're having a search without God, guess what? A faithless search will always be a fruitless search. So they're pursuing a life and the needs of life without God. And what is happening? Well, they're dying. The Bible says they're giving up the ghost. That's number one. Notice this, the fatality of faithlessness. The fatality of faithlessness. Now, we are literally reading about the end of a fruitless search without God. We are literally getting to read the last moments in the lives of these people as they searched for what they needed, but they were searching without God. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think they tried really hard to find something to eat? I believe so. Look, if my life is on the line, you better believe I'm going to find something to eat. Uh, I mean, look, <clears throat> my pinky toe, I don't need it all that much, all right? If it came down to it, I'd be willing. Why? Because survival. I mean, if it came down to utter survival, you'd probably be amazed at the things you would eat. I would probably even eat celery. I'll put that down. 
I would probably even eat celery if my life came down to it. Now, I believe these people tried very, very hard to survive, but they were not finding what they need. Now, you'd be amazed at what you're willing to do to survive. I read a couple of stories today, refresh my memory on them. I'm going to give you a picture of one in a minute. A man by the name of Aaron Ralston. You remember him? Aaron Ralston, he wrote the book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I believe you have the picture back there. I'll show it to you. Aaron Ralston was the hiker back in 2003 that was rock climbing out in Utah. And one of the large boulders that were there dislodged and pinned his arm between the boulder and the rock. Five days. Five days he sat there. He had made a decision of what he was going to do. He could not move the rock. And so the only way he was leaving there was to leave his arm there. And so he took out a very dull pocket knife five days later, cut off his own arm, and survived. Be amazed at what you'll do, how hard you will try when survival is on the line. Really neat story about a man by the name of Harrison Okenye. Back in 2013, he was on a tugboat in Nigeria. Uh, The tugboat capsized and sank in almost 100 feet of water. This is a picture of him. It sank in 100 feet of water. All 12, uh, 12 crewmen on, sh- on the ship died except for him. He happened to be in the restroom when the ship sank. 100 feet down for three days in the dark, he survived in an air pocket. And divers finally rescued him. They asked him, how did you keep up hope? How did you, how did you live in darkness 100 feet down in the ocean, 12 miles off the coast, waiting for... He says, I wanted to survive. He had this will to survive, and he made it happen. Now, here's what I want you to understand by both of those illustrations. I believe, listen, you will do whatever it takes when it comes down to it to survive. You will try your hardest, but notice this in verse 19. In spite of whatever they try to survive, regardless of their willpower, regardless of what they were willing to do, it was not good enough because they were trying without God. Now understand this, there is a fatality in faithlessness. If you try to pursue what you need in this life and what I need in this life, if this country continues on the path it's on to to seek out what we think we need without God, I hate to tell you this, it's futile and it's going to be fatal. Why? Because faithlessness is always fatal, regardless of how hard you try. Now look, we're Americans, right? We're not Americans, so we're Americans. And buddy, we can try really hard to get what we want, to go where we want, to have what we want. But can I tell you something? Regardless of how hard you try, if you try without God, it's going to be futile and it's going to be fatal. Why? Because faithlessness is fatal. God's people are learning here that regardless of what they did and how hard they looked, they're not going to find what they're looking for outside of God. Now, why did God include their obituary here in this entire book of Lamentations? Why did God put their obituary here? He wants us to realize that just as these people died without him, so will we. We will give up the ghost, watch this, while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. In the very search to get what they needed, they died because they died looking without God. Now, folks, what makes us think tonight that we can seek out what we need and what God says we need in this life without God? It's impossible. Give an example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. The Bible's speaking about Pharaoh's army that pursued the children of Israel when the Red Sea was opened up. Remember that? It wasn't a fairy tale. True story. The Bible says as the children of Israel went through on dry land, that here comes Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, all right, if they can do it, I can do it. 
And so Pharaoh starts pursuing them through the Red Sea that had parted. But listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews eleven twenty nine: By faith they, God's people, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, listen close, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. They drowned. There's something very important I want you to see there. It's the word assaying, A-S-S-A-Y-I-N-G. It's not a word we use often in our language, but it means attempted or tried. You know what Pharaoh said? Pharaoh says, they were able to do it, and even though I'm not with God and God's not with me, I'm going to try to do what they're doing, and I'm going to be all right. The Bible says they were drowned. Why? Because a faithless search is a fruitless search. He was not going to have what he could only have through the power of God, and that's why he died. Now, folks, we got to get this tonight because too many of us are trying, listen, to pursue the things we need in life without the assistance and without the providence of God, and it's not going to happen. For without him, we can do what? Nothing. Let's get it through our thick American skulls, all right? We are Americans. I mean, listen, if you say we can't, you just asked us and invited us to try, right? Oh, you can't do that. You can't invent that. You can't overcome that. I mean, we're going to do it. Why? Because we're Americans and most things we can do, but we cannot survive outside of God because a faithless existence is a fatal existence. Good example is Numbers chapter 14, verse 42. Finally, God's patience was up and his mercy was up on the children of Israel. The 10 times they tempted God, I mean, good night. We don't give people two or three times, and God gave them 10 chances to have that promised land he prepared for them. Finally, he says, okay, look, you don't want it, then fine, you won't have it. He says, don't go up. You're not going to be able to possess the land. They're going to overcome you. But the Bible says this. He says, go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten. Go not up, the Lord is not among you. Don't try it, because if you try to go up against them without God, you're going to die. This is God's word. Listen closely what it says. Verse 44, but they presumed to go up. They says, we're going to try it anyway. You know what? I think we can do it. The Bible says, nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the presence of God, and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them. You know what that means? It means they died because they tried it without God. Could I beg you tonight not to try anything without God? Don't try living without God. Don't try dying without God. Don't try to build your home without God. Don't try to raise your children without God. Don't try to make decisions without God. Listen, why can't we get it through our mind that without him we can do nothing? I can do all things through Christ. I can through Christ. Yes, I can. Through Christ. I can not because I'm an American. I can through Christ. Now understand, folks, that there's a fatality in faithlessness. When you try it without God, you're going to find out that God says, don't do it. It's going to hurt. And lo and behold, we see what happens. Here's the principle of point number one I want you to get tonight. You will either live trusting or you will die trying. I want you to let that sink in. You will either live trusting in God or you will die trying it on your own. That's the two options we all have. You have the opportunity to decide, I'm going to trust God with my life, with my home and my family, the decisions, the direction of our church. We're going to trust God for that. And you can live trusting God or you can die trying it for yourself. How often in Scripture do we see that come to light? Haggai chapter 1 verse 6, God's reminding his people to consider their ways. He says that twice. And here's what he says, ye have sown much and bring in little. 
Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Can I tell you what that verse just screams to me? They are trying really hard. They're not sitting on their couch just hoping the money's going to come in. All right? They didn't, they didn't live in 2021. They actually had to get to work for it. It says you have sold. Some of you will get that later. You have sown much and bring in little. They're working hard. They're trying to find what they need and get what they need. What does he say? He says, you eat, but you're not filled. You drink, but you're not filled. You clothe, but there's none warm. And when you, put, you earn wages, you put it into a bag with holes in it. You know what he's saying? You're trying as hard as you can, but it's a dead end without God. You see, we can either trust or we can try. And I hate to tell you, no matter how strong or smart or rich you are, trying it without God is futile. It's fatal. And the Bible says here, while they sought their meat to relieve their soul, they were seeking out what they needed, and the Bible says they gave up the ghost while they were seeking it out. I believe they were trying really hard, but it was fruitless. Why? They were trying it without God. You can't go without God. I read an interesting story a while back about uh, two men. A guy was walking up the set of stairs in his apartment complex. He saw a man standing in the doorway of his apartment wrestling with a washing machine. You know, those things, uh, they're hard for one guy to dance with, aren't they? And he saw the guy wrestling with it, wrestling in the doorway, just couldn't get it unlodged. He says, let me help you. So the guy goes up there and he puts his arms around it. And man, they just both back and forth, back and forth, and they're just unable to budget. The stranger that had walked up the stairs looked at the guy on the inside of the door. And he says, we're never going to get this thing in there. And the guy that was on the inside of the house says, get it in. I'm trying to get it out. And so the whole time they were sitting there, they were fighting each other, and they weren't going anywhere because they were pushing against each other. You see, that's why we don't get anywhere in our pursuits in life either. All right? But instead of a stranger, we're pushing against God. You're not going to make much progress. You're not going to find what you're looking for. And you're not going to get what you need as long as you're pushing against God. Now, folks, how many people have to waste their life wrestling with the washing machines of life before we realize, you know what? This ain't working. It's better to have God on your side than against you. I think we see that in Acts chapter 5. Remember, Peter and the disciples were brought before the council. They had been charged not to preach. What did Peter say? We ought to obey God rather than man. Lo and behold, someone wise, Gamaliel, steps up. And what did he say? And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. He says, look, leave them alone. If it's not of God, it's going to fail. What wonderful principles are right there. If it's not of God, it's going to fail. It's going to falter and it's going to fall. He says, but wait a minute. If it is of God, he says, you can't overthrow it, lest happily you be okay with fighting against God. I don't think there's any one of us tonight in their right mind. And I think most of us probably are within our right mind. A few of our teenagers, I had them in the office today for coffee and donuts. I'm not sure all of them are in their right mind, but they're working on it really hard, and I, I appreciate that. But I think we're all in our right mind tonight. None of us would say to ourselves, you know what? I think I could take on God. I, I think I could go toe-to-toe with him. Look, I couldn't go toe-to-toe with most of the people in this room. What makes me think, especially some of you ladies, <laughs> I mean, some of you are pretty tough. I've seen the bruises on your husbands. What makes us think we can go, those of you who are laughing the hardest, you've hurt your husband lately, haven't you? 
That's scary. That is scary. We, I, I'm open for marriage counseling. Me, me and Brother Nate would be glad to talk with you about that. Happily fight against God? Are you kidding? Why, how foolish would you have to be to think, I'm going to fight against God? But watch this. When you seek things faithlessly, out on your own, away from God, listen, the reason it's so tough, the way the transgressor is hard, because you're fighting against God himself, and the reason they're dying in the midst of their search is simply because they're fighting against God. I'll give you some good news before I give you the second point, which is the last one tonight. Job gives us an example of what it looks like when you do it right. Job 13, 15, listen to what he says. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job says, I'm not going to quit on him. I'm not going to quit on him. He says, though he slay me, he says, God could kill me, but I choose to trust. Yes. Can I tell you what Job said? Job says, I'm not trying it on my own. I'm going to trust through him. And Job came through one of the most heart-aching circumstances anyone who's ever lived has experienced. He made it through. Why? He didn't try it on his own. He trusted God. He says, though he slay me. He says, I'm going to trust him. Look, Job says, this is too hard with God than to try it without God. Folks, can I tell you, the last year has been crazy. Uh, I was talking to teenagers this morning in the office, just had a good fellowship with them uh, in chapel time, and uh, I took a moment to thank them for their faithfulness and for grunting it out with us this school year. It's been a crazy school year, and they had to deal with that. They had to live with that, too, and they put up with a lot this year of all the changes and all of that, and I told them, it's been a crazy year, but we made it through God. Here they are at the end of their school year, and I know they're heartbroken. They're not going to be able to come up here for a little while, but soon enough, school will be starting back. Soon enough, trust me. Mom and dad are like, yes, soon enough, it'll be starting back. Why? Because you're fixing to get them. But without God, boy, last year would have been tough. You say, man, I don't know how we made it. We made it through God. I don't know how people made it without God. Because I assure you what will happen, you're going to die trying. And that's exactly what they're doing. Verse 19, they gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. There was a man once came out of a remote village. I don't think it's a true story, but it's a good one, so I want to tell you anyway, okay? We can pretend it's true. He came out of a remote village up in the mountains, and he came into the big city for the first time, was just enamored at all the lights that were there. The light bulbs that were blinking were amazing. And he wanted to bring something back to his village that uh, really showed what the big city was like and bring something back that showed how awesome it was on the trip that he went. And, and so as he looked around the city, he saw all of these blinking lights. He says, I'm going to take some of those blinking lights back for them. Walked through the city at daytime, all the lights were off. At nighttime, they came on. It was just beautiful. He says, that's what I want, to light up the darkness in our village, okay? And so at night, he goes along the street, and he starts unscrewing all those light bulbs, putting them in his little pouch, and he's so excited that he's going to take something back to the city or to his village from the big city. So he unscrews all these light bulbs, puts them in a bag, takes them to the city. When he gets to the village, he finds there's nowhere to screw them in, but he thought, you know what? We'll just stick them up in the trees, so in the daytime, he's walking around, he's sticking all of those light bulbs up in the trees, and everybody's asking, what are you doing? What are you doing? Those little glass balls, putting them up the tree. He says, wait until it's dark. When it gets dark, it's going to be amazing. And so they put all those up in the trees, and he's sitting back on his log with a big smile on his face, thinking to himself, I am about to become a legend in my village. 
They are going to think that I'm the most awesome guy in the world because I brought these most beautiful inventions back to them. And lo and behold, the sun dips below the horizon and everybody's waiting for the big moment. He says, wait for it, wait for it. It's got to get good and dark. And all of a sudden, they're going to come on. It's going to be lighted everywhere. And lo and behold, nothing happened. He collected all these bulbs, but nobody told him that he needed electricity to get all of those bulbs to come on. And yet here he was sitting there with this bag of light bulbs and how useful they could have been if they just had a little power to light them up. And yet here's what we do. We go into the big city of life and we're going to gather all these light bulbs, all these shiny things that we think are great and awesome, and we're doing all of this without the power of God in our life, without the presence of God in our life. And I'm going to tell you what we have is we still have darkness. We're missing the one thing that makes it all work. It's God. Without me, you can do nothing. I can through Christ. And so what we see in verse 19 in this lesson of lacking, they're lacking what they need, which is God. That's why the fatality of faithlessness is something we've got to learn. Notice the second thing. I noticed something. I really was going to preach one, but then I noticed something else in here, and I'm going to give you this before we go. The Bible says, I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priest, now pay close attention to that. My priest and my elders, what are they doing? The priests are starving to death. Now, what are they showing us? No matter how hard we try, without God, you're always going to lack. Write that down on the backs of your eyelids. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I look, no matter how long I search, I am always going to be lacking if it's without God. But as we look at this, we see something particularly or specifically devastating, and that was the priest. Now, why did he put that in there? My priest and my elders gave up the ghost. The priests are dying. Well, I believe there's something interesting we need to see. And we're not going to turn there, but when you go back to Leviticus chapter number seven, you read about the priest and the priests that were serving in the temple that day. It was God's will in Leviticus chapter seven. You'll see it about verse 32, verse 35, that they were able to take some of the grain and some of the food as part of their food. Matter of fact, I'll read one for you, Leviticus seven. And the right shoulder shall he give unto the priest for an heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron, those are the priests, that offereth the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right shoulder for his part. So oftentimes a lot of the food the priest would eat would come from the sacrifices of the people. The priests were given a portion of the certain sacrifices for their food. Now, I want you to see what's happening here. I believe the reason that he showed us that the priests were starving is because the priests, watch this, were suffering the effects of the faithlessness of the people. Number two, I want to show you this. Notice the fallout of faithlessness. The fallout of faithlessness. The faithlessness of the people is having a direct impact upon others. Now, oftentimes we don't consider the ripple effects of our sin, do we? We see something we want, we go after it. I want that, even if it's out of the will of God. Could we admit, even when it's out of the will of God and we know it, we are willing to take the consequences of that. Hey, you know what? I know that's a sin. I know I shouldn't watch that, listen to that, go there, do that, skip church, not read my Bible. We know that there's going to be consequences, right? Yes, because we serve a just God but we don't think about the consequences on others, do we? And now these priests who would normally get some of their food from the sacrifices, the priests are giving up the ghost. That's called fallout. We were in the office today and I needed a word. I busted out of the office, uh, Ms. Gretchen will tell you. I says, I need a word. So what is the word? I need a word that means ripple effects. 
you know, consequences when other people are affected. And then lo and behold, I'm sitting there in the office and I found the word on my thesaurus of the word fallout. Let me read you the definition of the word fallout. The adverse side effects of a situation. The adverse side effects of a situation. Watch this. The priests are suffering due in part to the faithlessness of the people. Can I ask you something? Have you ever considered at the ripple effects of what your and my faithlessness could have on other people? My faithlessness, not my faithfulness, could it be that my faithlessness could affect other people down the road? Absolutely. We see all throughout Scripture people that suffer because of someone in leadership's faithlessness. I'll give an example. 1986, I was kind of young. I was only six years old, so I don't remember this personally, but I read about it later. Some of you that were uh, older during that time, I'm sure, could tell me a lot about it, about the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Remember that? Uh, I read up on it this afternoon to make sure I had my facts correct. Here's exactly what happened. Two electrical engineers on the night shift were working some unnecessary experiments. Matter of fact, one of the internal reviews of the disaster says, in quotes, they were playing around. What they wanted to do was slow the turbine down in that nuclear reactor to see how long it would stay spinning after they turned the power off. I mean, if that's not redneck, I don't know what is. wonder how long that thing will spin when we shut it off, you know? You got that skill saw and you let it, we can see how, and you're timing it. Oh man, I got a minute and a half on that spin, you know? How long that mixer will spin when you turn it off, stuff like that. Well, this is a nuclear reactor, all right? Not something to be playing around with. So they wanted to turn it off, see how many spins it would get uh, when it was powered down. Now, the reactors were not made to function at such low levels and low stages, uh, all that range of power. Now, here's what was interesting, what I read today. There's alarms that go off. There's six different alarms that went off prior to the Chernobyl accident. The alarms were actually speakers that said, danger, caution, power up. Six different alarms that went off warning those operators that night, those electrical engineers that night, warned them that they were headed toward disaster. But all six of those alarms had to be manually overridden. The alarm went off. The voice sounded, and the voice said, danger, danger, caution, caution, power up, power up. And all six times, they overrode the warning, and we had the nuclear fallout that has not been matched to this day. I looked up the, the, um, the fatalities. 30 died instantly. Thousands would die later of related uh, effects and defects caused by the radiation. The fallout would go around the world. The disaster produced the largest uncontrolled radioactive release into the environment ever recorded. It's called fallout. Two guys decided to override the alarms. And thousands of people would pay. People with cancer. People lost their lives. Just a, a disaster area, all because of fallout. What is fallout? The adverse side effects of a situation. The priests that are dying, looking for something to eat, they're fallout. They're part of the adverse reaction because of somebody else's faithlessness. Now, can I tell you, Jeremiah the prophet preached. He preached repentance. Do you know what Jeremiah the prophet was doing? He was saying, danger, 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 caution. Trouble, trouble. But do you know what they did every time? They overrode the warnings. 
You know what? We're going to do what we want, go where we want. Okay, if trouble comes, trouble comes, and we'll just live with the consequences of our sin. But the problem is, oftentimes, it's not just us that has to live with the consequences of our sin. Oftentimes, others will follow in our footsteps and suffer for generations and the fallout of sin. And can I tell you tonight, the fallout of sin is far worse than a nuclear disaster. Why? Because the effects are eternal. Those people lost their physical life, but oftentimes our faithlessness, watch this, we pass that to our children, and they pass that to their children. You know, there was a point in time on the planet Earth that everybody knew God. There was at least one time, and one by one, somebody began diluting their faith. And we keep passing a half-deluded faith and a half-deluded faith. And after a while, there's no faith to be detected. And look, so much of the disaster in our homes today, in America today, you know what it is? It's fallout. Because of somebody else's faithlessness. It's sad when you look at this picture in my mind. Look, I'm still young at heart. And I see these priests, bellies bloated. You've seen over there in Africa, those poor kids around the world starving hungry, ribs showing. I see these priests just falling dead. The Bible says in the city, hungry. Why? They're starving. And part of the result is because of somebody's faithlessness. You look at America today, America's starving to death. Our homes are starving to death. I'm not talking about physically. We're like one of the most obese countries in the world. We're starving spiritually. Our homes are starving for for leadership. Our children are starving for training. All because, watch this, they're suffering the fallout oftentimes of our faithlessness. I read it in Mark chapter 5 today about Jairus. How Jairus' daughter was sick. Jairus gets interrupted talking to Jesus. The one with the issue of blood comes up and interrupts them. And then here comes the servant says, your daughter's dead. Imagine how Jairus felt. I know how he felt. He was scared. Because Jesus told him to fear not only believe. Jesus goes and raises up his daughter. And every person who saw that daughter, do you know what they were looking at? They were looking at the fruit of faithfulness. Not the fallout of faithlessness. You see, she had a daddy that said, you know what? My daughter's got a great need in her life. And the only one who can meet the need in her life is Christ. And she had a dad who had so much faith, he fought through the crowd, he found Christ. And that girl is a walking, talking, living, breathing example of the fruit of a faithful dad. And yet we read over in Joshua chapter 7 about old Achan. Achan was not a faithful dad. Matter of fact, Achan was a faithless dad. We read in Joshua chapter 7, the Bible says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold that he had stolen, and his sons and his daughters. The Bible says they brought them to the valley of Achor, and they stoned them. Did that daughter or those sons steal the gold? No. But they were buried under a pile of rubble in the valley of Achor. As fallout because of the faithlessness of their father. Now, I want my daughter to be fruit of a faithful dad. 
not fall out of an unfaithful dad. But we have to decide whether or not we're going to be an Achan or are we going to be a Jairus. I want you to be one of those Jairus dads. To have enough courage, I'm going to seek out Christ. Because Christ has the only need that my child will ever have. Christ has that. And if I can introduce my child to Christ, then guess what? She'll find the answer to the questions of life. She'll find the answer to the burdens of life and the needs she's going to have. And that girl was a reflection of a faithful dad. You see, we get to choose tonight between fruit or fallout here on Sunday. I hope you're planning on coming on Sunday. We're going to have a wonderful breakfast for our moms. What is it, 930, 9.45? 9.45. Have a wonderful breakfast in the gym. I want to encourage all of you to come. We're going to have a great day. Special gift for our moms. Oftentimes around Mother's Day, we have testimony services. We're not. Okay, we just had one. We get one a year, and we'll have to wait until next year to have another one. But it's amazing around Mother's Day talking to people and how they go back to their mom. I'm in church today because of my mom. I got saved because of my mom or my mom showed me this. My mom read the Bible, mom, mom, mom. And so many of us in this room tonight, you can say, you know what? I'm the fruit of a faithful mom or a faithful dad. But now the question is, are we going to be faithful so that our children would get to be fruit rather than the fallout of our sin. Look at verse 19 one more time and we're done. The Bible says, my priests and mine elders gave up the ghost in the city while they sought their meat. They found there was fatality and faithlessness. Can I tell you, without God, the further you go away from God, it's going to be futile and it's going to be fatal. You're not going to be able to fight against God. If we're faithless, it's going to be fatal. And then finally, we see the fallout of faithlessness. The Bible says even the priests, they didn't have what they needed because somebody else didn't do their part. This poem says this, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By deeds that you do, by words that you say, men read what you write, whether faithless or true, say what is the gospel according to you. What's the gospel according to you? It's going to be shown out in our life by the example we live, by what we show, and by what we do. And I pray, watch this, the world we leave behind, the world these people left behind was worse off because they were there. I hope the world we leave behind our children is better off because of the faithfulness of those that are in this room right now. So tonight, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We read... A very simple verse about people that are lacking. They're missing something. They're missing what they need, and they can't find what they need because they're trying to find what they need without God. Remember tonight, you are going to live by trusting, or you're going to die trying. You're going to live by trusting God, or you're going to die by trying it for yourself. And tonight, we get to pick that. We get to choose whether our church, our country, our children is going to be the fallout of our faithlessness or they're going to be the fruit of our faithfulness. We get to decide that. Let's choose tonight to be a Jairus. I'm going to seek out Christ for all that I need and those that come behind me are going to need. Heavenly Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Father, that we can see a living example of those who tried it without you. Father, help us all, Lord. Moms and dads, sons and daughters, Lord, whoever may be here tonight, I pray that we'd all choose that we're going to leave behind a legacy of faithfulness by the choices we make or by how we live, by the words that we say. Help our gospel, Lord, to point others to you, not away from you. 
Lord, I pray that we'd not seek anything, Lord, outside of your will, that we'll not seek anything, Father, outside of your hand and your providence. But, Father, we will desire to have, Lord, what you desire for us, that our lives might honor and glorify you. Bless this invitation tonight, Father. Help us, Lord, repent of our sin. Help us turn back to you that we might find, Lord, what we need as well as those that are behind us need. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand with our